Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. So on the show today, we have the director of the brilliant See How They Run, Tom George. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hi, Steve. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I mean, has this period been a bit of a whirlwind with the film just coming out? Yeah, it's my first feature. So um, all new, really, the whole experience of releasing a film. But it's the exciting bit, really, because, you know, I've been working really hard on it for, you know, 18 months, probably all in, in terms of pre-production, shooting it, and then the edit. So, um, yeah, in cinemas by the time we, uh, by the time this goes out. And um, no, it's been, it's been a great experience, yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I would imagine, yeah, it's something slightly different to the norm. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, coming from TV, which, you know, where I've worked predominantly previously, uh, it's the promotion's the biggest difference, you know. It's like you do a little bit of promotion, a little bit of a few interviews, maybe, you know, for a TV series, but you've got a captive audience. There's a different bar when it's a film and you need to get people to leave their house, you know, leave all their, uh, their multitude of streaming services, go to a cinema pay 15 quid to watch a film. So yeah, just getting the word out takes that much more sort of effort. So, but it's been, it's been fun and, you know, we're spoiled with an absolutely brilliant cast in this film, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about. And that has made it easy and fun because they're all just sort of nice people. So yeah, yes. I've enjoyed it. Definitely some advantages in that cast. Yes. But uh, yeah, everyone's got an origin story and where <laughs> they got into film, I guess. So what would be yours? What would my origin story be? I never, I didn't go to film school. I didn't initially imagine that when I was at school, it's like there were kind of like eight jobs I thought you could do. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. One of the big problems is that you just don't know what jobs are out there. You don't understand that in, you know, even in a single company, there's like scores of different roles and jobs within it. But I was always into writing and, and, and stories and then I went to Leeds University and there I did a bit of student radio, funnily enough. So that was the thing that first got me into making little sketches, editing little packages, doing some, you know, a little bit of on-air presenting, I suppose. And that was exciting. And I liked that uh, that sort of thing of making stuff, really. And, and it sort of gave me the bug for that. But didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly within that. Left uni in Leeds and... Um, Applied for jobs at radio stations and at, and at independent production companies in TV as well. Eventually got a runner's job uh, at a documentary company. And that was great. You were a runner for like a set period of time and then they sort of stepped you up, which is one of the hardest things to do when you're sort of starting out. So they had a good scheme. But I quite quickly realised that documentaries weren't really where... They were working in a particular type of documentary. It was a sort of mid-early noughties maybe. And it, they were making things like faking it and Wife Swap, which were kind of the first of those like fact-end documentary shows, sort of, I think they opened the hell mouth that became constructed reality <laughs> shows, basically. But 
at the time it was like, wow, wow, what is this? It's kind of a documentary, but they're also like shaping some elements of it. And it's clearly a sort of narrative to, that they're creating. But I was terrible at basically in that sort of industry, in that job, 80% of the job is being a contributor hunter. You've got to get people to be on these shows, yeah. whatever type of documentary it is. You've got to convince them, you know, to come on and do this show and it would be great. And I knew deep down it would not be great and it would not probably be great for them. And I was just terror. I just found that I couldn't do it. I was really, really bad at convincing people to do a thing that I didn't believe was, didn't believe in really. Um, There's a certain amount of manipulation there, isn't there? And it's. Oh yeah. A certain amount. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to make sure they're malleable, but equally accepting of, it's a very strange situation. Mm, yeah. And I'd also like telesales was my was my job throughout uni to like pay for uni basically, and so I knew I didn't want to go back to work in a sort of I, I, knew I couldn't quite do a nine to five where I was watching the clock every minute of the day. Like I knew I just couldn't. My brain just didn't work that way. I had one of those. I'm like one of those people who goes, okay, that must be twenty minutes. You know, you've done it. You've done anything. You've got it. Must be twenty minutes. You look at the clock and five minutes has passed, and that was like. So I knew, uh, you know, I needed to like find something in this. I did like, and music had always been a sort of like hobby or like passion of mine. Again, not something that I was like, oh, I want to work in music or whatever. But I ended up after leaving the documentary place and getting a job at an indie in East London in Old Street who specialised in music. And I ended up being in-house there for about six years and went from being a kind of in-house assistant to being a director in-house and that was often filming interviews like with bands and then grew to filming little sessions with bands and eventually big gigs and live um, live events. Yeah, live music events. And so when I left there and went freelance in about 2010, that was kind of my specialism. But along the way through doing that, I had realised what I wanted to be doing was scripted stuff where you, where you could, you know, have that bit more control. And, and, you know, it kind of brought those things together that, I'd always been interested in, but hadn't quite realised, you know, where they could lead. You know, this thing of like writing, which I'd always been into, and um, and the sort of filming and photography um, side of of music that I'd been kind of developing. And so, music was kind of my day job, I suppose. But I was starting to do little bits of scripted work. It started out, you know, it was the late two thousands when I started out, and I was doing this and you know so youtube was newly a thing and you know it, it was making some sketches for youtube but then it was a lot of what i did early on was meeting comedians who wanted to make sketches for like their live shows or little insert short films to go in their edinburgh shows and that kind of stuff and that just you know with those early collaborations working with writers performers to um and and like making little whatever it might be two minute sketches quite often and um yeah, but music was very much, you know, still sort of my main job. And, um, and and I was really lucky that that was successful in its own right. And I was doing things like Glastonbury for the BBC. I did the park stage there for a, a number of years, which was just kind of the, felt to me like the, the pinnacle of that. I just, you know, it's what I'd always dreamed of doing was like getting to film Glastonbury. Well, Talking about performers, mm. uh, one of the things we've asked you to do is uh, pick some tracks that influenced your career or had a particular significance for you. And the first one you've chosen is Idols, Never Fight a Man with a Perm. Why that? <laughs> um, I love Idols, um, but that the reason is that that was, I think, the best show, the best gig that we filmed at Glastonbury. I think it was... 
oh, obviously the pandemic has like completely erased my ability to track time and space. But I think it was probably 2018. And yeah, they played on the park stage, drew a huge crowd and they just like put on an incredible show. Like the lead singer has a real emotional connection to the music and to the his audience. And they also just have brilliant song titles, like Never Fight a Man With a Pearl. You can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> <laughs> So you moved into making shorts then. Mm. Uh, so how did that journey happen? Did you move from shorts and then into TV? Yeah. So I'd been making kind of sketches, really short form stuff, as I said. And I I realised that I needed to make something that was like what I really wanted to do that could be a sort of calling card, I suppose. So I made a couple of short films I had a very good friend, still a very good friend, uh, called Paul Lucas, who we were kind of a directing duo at the time. I think always we split along the lines of I was more the director, he was more the DOP. Um, and certainly, and, and we'd kind of made some music videos and done a lot of this music filming that I mentioned together. And so we embarked on making, yeah, a short film together that was it's entirely self-funded and sort of relied on calling in every favor under the sun to to get it together but having been in this sort of parallel part of the industry by that point had you know met a, a lot of people who could kind of help out and were interested in you know making a short so i wrote a script um for a film a short that became mickey and michaela bury their dad which was like a a black comedy basically about two young teenagers who are sort of who are on a trip to the woods and it becomes apparent they're there to bury their dad and then it becomes apparent they're there because they probably murdered him so um yeah we filmed that and it kind of played at festivals and did okay it wasn't like a huge like festival hit but it won a couple of prizes at you know festivals in and around london and that got me meetings with an agent basically and then and then that led to me getting an agent you know off the back of that um which led to the sort of early bits of tv work that i that i did so yeah the very first kind of broadcast paid i suppose directing of scripted job that i did was actually a kids show which was called hank zipser and it was written or rather it was based on books written by henry winkler the fonz and oh, right. and henry was in the show so basically it was about a sort of kid with a dyslexic kid who found school difficult but had this amazing like creative problem-solving brain and would get himself into scrapes, basically. But the, what attracted me to it was you had the kids, but then you had these brilliant comic performers in the adult roles. So people like Felicity Montague, who people might know from Alan Partridge, uh, Neil Fitzmaurice, who uh, co-created Phoenix Nights um, was, and, and was in things like Peep Show, Javon Prince, Nick Mohammed, who's gone on to be huge in... Um, mm in loads of stuff at the moment. Um, Ted Lasso. Isn't Ted he? Lasso, of course, yeah. So that was great. And then Henry Winkler would, we were filming it in Halifax of all places, and Henry Winkler for two weeks <laughs> would turn up in Halifax and we'd shoot all his scenes back to back to minimise the amount of time that he had to be in that particular part of Yorkshire. And um, no, but it was great. And like working with these sort of unbelievably experienced people, I was massively out of my depth. And um, 
and really learning on the job. And it was the first time I sort of filmed anything scripted for like more than a day or two, you know, and so doing like a month or, or nearly two months of filming um, with these really experienced comic actors was an amazing, amazing learning experience for sure. So how did you end up meeting with the Coopers and going into this country? Because obviously you ended up directing everything. Yeah. Pretty much. But obviously it wasn't your baby. So yeah, that's right. Um, well, I'd always wanted to be on board you know, kind of TV programs or, or, or films, you know, but certainly TV programs were the, my focus at the time from early on in the process, whether it be writing or co-creating or, or whatever. In TV, the way it usually works is the director's quite late hire, basically. The, the writers and the producers will work on scripts often until they're like almost quite ready, you know, pretty much ready to film, at which point they'll meet with some directors, hire a director, bring them on board. So the job is kind of, you know, more about executing it at that point. It's like the scripts are pretty much finished. Um, you maybe can come on and give a handful of little notes, but basically it's kind of, it's it's going to be the way it's written and and uh, it's your job to like then film it and edit it, of course. But I'd always wanted to be on from earlier and it just so happened that Daisy and Charlie had the same agent that I had at the time and they had previously made a very early pilot for, not for this country, but that involved the Kerry character and it was for ITV and it had not gone very well. It hadn't been an experience that they enjoyed. They hadn't really got to make the show that they thought they were going to be making and it hadn't turned out well as a result. So at the point when I met them, um, they had just had a couple of scripts commissioned by the BBC. The BBC had, had agreed to like commission a couple of early scripts for what would become this country. And I, because I knew this was happening, my agent was able to say to the producer, oh, look, why don't you meet Tom? He's a director who we rep as well, and uh, I think you'd really get on. And this was this producer's name was Simon Mayhew Archer, and he's, later he went on to produce this country. And he since has um, admitted to me that he only took the meeting as a courtesy. And he was like, I'm <laughs> never going to hire this person because, you know. It's all, I don't want them all to be coming from one agent anyway, and I'm going to find the director I want to work with and what, what have you. Totally reasonable. But unfortunately for Simon, we just kind of hit it off and we both saw from the early idea what, what it could be and I think saw it in the same way. And we didn't know it was a mockumentary at that point, but we both realised that it had to be really real and naturalistic and that that would sort of balance with this kind of, uh, particularly the Kerry character who, you know, there was a version of that character, which was quite a broad sitcom character. You could imagine yes, it kind yeah. of turned up to 11 and being quite two-dimensional and um, almost like a sketch character. Yeah, so we both just saw that if it was really rooted, it could be really funny. So Simon said, look, why don't you come in and do a couple of days story work with me and Daisy and Charlie. We're, we're sort of outlining the series and some of the episodes and just trying to figure out what the show might be. And so I was lucky enough to go in and do that and got on well, you know, as a group and it kind of all worked. And so then it was like, well, come and do another couple of weeks. And again, that was like developing the scripts, developing the ideas, and then went on to just kind of be involved from that point on, which was which was amazing to be on from from such an early point. And, and having that, it, it was nearly a year that we ended up being together as a group before we actually filmed the first series. Obviously not full time and, you know, sort of a few days a month, really, that we were sort of working together. But that time, looking back, I think, was the key to the whole thing because it meant that, 
like I say, usually you maybe get six weeks together as a creative team before you go and film something. Mm. Having that length of time just meant we all really understood what it was we wanted to make and we all had a kind of, we developed a shorthand of, um, you know, reference points, touchstones and the, just a language for how to talk about what we wanted to do. And it meant that by the time we got to set, everything felt really, really not easy, but like smooth and like it felt like we all knew what we wanted to do and so then it was kind of you're working in the fine detail which isn't always the way you think it would be but i've worked on things where you realize core members of the creative team are making trying to make slightly different things and that's as you can imagine never really a recipe for good things to come out of it i think no it definitely sounds like a more natural like things have eased in naturally yeah got that sort of understanding and i guess that's the thing it's it's that communication that understanding and that always helps Exactly that. And and also we appreciated it. I think we'd all of us had done, certainly in my case and the Cooper's case, had done just enough stuff by that point. It wasn't quite our first, first thing. We'd done just enough to realise it wasn't always this easy. I think if it had been our first thing, we'd have just gone, oh, this is great. You're just always like, it's like your mates and you just go and make a thing. But they had had this sort of trouble pilot and I'd done some stuff previously that I hadn't been totally satisfied with. And it was like, it was really refreshing. We were all like, oh God, this is really like fun. And just finding like-minded people was, was really exciting. And obviously then they've gone on to become really close friends and to, to go on that journey with a, with a bunch of friends was just, you know, totally amazing. Well, moving back to the music. Yeah. Your next track is John Cooper Clark. I want to be yours. Dr. John Cooper Clark is something that Daisy May Cooper and myself bonded over. Um, we're both huge fans of uh, Dr. Clark. And um, I think I Want to Be Yours was covered by the Arctic Monkeys or Alex Turner. And that might be a version that people, sort of younger audience are more familiar with. But yeah, he's he's just a brilliant lyricist and and so funny. And he's got something of like the the Coopers about, or the Coop, I mean, not, and not just the name, you know. Yeah. Um, he's He's got that ear for the spoken word, I think. And that's what Daisy and Charlie have. They've just got that ear for how real people speak out in the world and that's what he he captures in that sort of Mancunian landscape so well. So See How They Run is currently in cinemas and doing very well. Um, But what have you got basically on the slate for you next? Um, I'm in development really at the moment, which is nice, like having you know, been in production on the film nearly two years, all in, through, from the sort of in, very start of the process to the release, it's been certainly two years. It means that that's all I've done since this country. So it's nice to be back in a place where, think you know, thinking of new ideas and working with new people. Um, Mark Chappell and I, Mark, who wrote um, See How They Run, uh, currently working on a new script for a film. So that's very exciting. We, we'd never worked together beforehand, but got on really well. And, and, and to be honest, having worked with Charlie and Daisy um, for so many years and had other experiences where I hadn't kind of managed to get on the same page with the writers as easily, I kind of was beginning to think that maybe it was a one-off and that, you know, I just had this special connection with Daisy and Charlie, which I think, I, you know, I do, and I do think it's rare, but I was really lucky to meet Mark on this film and find that we had a similar kind of... Um, a similar connection and for me it's always about being able to uh, it's trust really because it's been able to like critique 
things in the scripts as you go without people feeling like it's a personal attack or, or like it's um or get too defensive, which is hard because particularly as a writer, you know, you're you're putting yourself out there when you share an idea. But Mark is brilliant and, and works in a very similar way to Daisy and Charlie in that he always thinks that there's a better version out there. Even when it's good, he's never averse to like trying something different to see if it if it can be improved. And um that's how I love to love to work. So yeah, so hopefully we'll be working together again. And beyond that, you know, I want to keep working in film and television. You know, I, I've loved this process of making my first film, but I've always felt that really certain ideas are made to be told in 90 minutes, two hours, and, and others are best, you know, explored over a number of episodes or series. And so I'd like to continue doing both and working with some of the people that I already have done and hopefully new people as well, always, I think, on things that have a comic element somewhere in them, but not necessarily as um, as um, overtly or densely comic as uh, See How They Run is. Um, I'm, I'm, above all, I'm interested in things, as I said earlier, I think that uh, where there's a tonal clash or a mix of tones or a mix of genres, as, as there are in, in this film, it, that's always an exciting challenge of, for how you can kind of deliver two films for what for the price of one i suppose how do you how do you hold the comedy and the and the dramatic elements um that was certainly a big big challenge with see how they run was you on the one hand really wanted it to be an exciting thriller an exciting whodunit and i think if it doesn't work as a whodunit then the audience leaves feeling short-changed at the same time it's got to really work as a funny character comedy and and if you lean too far into the comedy, it undermines. It can undermine the stakes of the, the dramatic elements and you stop caring. You feel like, oh, this is just something silly and spoofy and you stop caring about the sort of thriller plot. And likewise, obviously, if you overdo the dramatic elements, the comedy sort of drifts away and you lose that sense of tone. So, um, yeah, balancing those two things was um, was a big part of what attracted me to the film in the first place, but certainly the big challenge because... Um, you know, it took us a long time to get those two things, you know, pitched perfectly. So I like that kind of challenge and hopefully can, you know, can do more of that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it definitely has a balance and everything works. Yeah, great. You've managed to pull off, I think, each of those elements with a, an actual twist that isn't obvious in any way. So, yeah, I think it works all around. Oh, cheers. Yeah, I mean, I suppose one thing we haven't talked about is, for me, like, the real pleasure of it was being able to work with on the one hand these big film actors like Sam Rockwell, Adrian Brody and Saoirse Ronan, David Yellowo. And then on at the same time to have the likes of Reese Shearsmith and Tim Key, uh, Sean Clifford and Charlie Cooper in all in the same cast. And for them to feel like they come together as an ensemble that that hopefully feels like it's all in the they're all in the same world and all kind of all working alongside each other was really really like satisfying to see yeah so um i think we'll struggle to top this cast on future projects but yeah, yeah or you know and above all like a great bunch of people and who all just got the tone of the film from really early on and kind of which is a testament again to mark's script and and sort of uh how clear it was um how it should be approached but um yeah just like really feel lucky to have had this incredible cast from both sides of the water it is a fantastic cast and uh, they've done you proud. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, sadly, we're at the end of the interview. Time is against us. And we're going to play out with a track, Bob Dylan, The Man in Me. Yeah, um, this song, uh, but a big Dylan fan, but this song plays, I think it's the opening of one of my favourite films, uh, The Big Lebowski by the Coen Brothers. And yeah, sets up all the uh, main characters in this, I guess, a kind of montage introductory sequence where you're sort of travelling through um, 90s LA and meeting Jeff Bridges and um, John Goodman and Steve Buscemi. And it's there's there are certain songs that when I hear them now, I always think of a film or the film sequence uh, rather than, you know, the artist behind it. Yeah, so... Uh, this is The Man in Me from The Big Lebowski, but also by Bob Dylan. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for talking to me today. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed it, Steve. Yeah, and I hope the film does really, really well. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 